Well, church, uh, so glad that you are here. Welcome, glad y'all are with us this post-Thanksgiving. Um, if you've got your Bibles, if you would, uh, open up to Galatians. We're gonna be in Galatians. It is Advent season. So Advent uh, is a season of anticipation. It's a season where, one, we celebrate that Jesus has come to us, that he has arrived in that manger long ago. And it also is a double meaning where we are also still waiting on that one that came long ago to come again to redeem us and to take us home with him uh, forever and ever in glory one day. And so Advent is a celebration of his coming at the birth, and it is an anticipation that in the same way he is going to come again for us. He came first as a baby. He will come again in glory uh, with a sword on a horse enthroned in glory Uh, and he will come as a judge. And so we uh, anticipate and we wait for our great hope to come uh, one day. And so uh, this morning we celebrate the idea that this Jesus is our great hope in this Advent season. And uh, before we begin, before we jump into Galatians, and there's a verse that just captures the identity of Christmas and the meaning of Christmas so beautifully, I want to remind us that if we're going to come to grips uh, with the Bible, we need to remind ourselves, even sitting here today, with all the trappings of Christmas, with all the trappings of uh, everything that's going on in the Christmas season and sort of post-Thanksgiving, that Christmas and really our Bible is all about Jesus. All of this that we do, all of the hoopla, all of the things that we long for, all of the symbolism that we enjoy, should all point us and remind us of Jesus. In fact, the whole Bible is, in fact, about Jesus. The Old Testament, we just got done doing a doctrine series, and we learned that the entire Old Testament uh, is the prediction of Jesus, that this, there is a Messiah, there is one that is going to come, and he's going to redeem us, and he's going to save us, and the Old Testament is longing for this Savior to come. The Gospels shows us this Savior, that it is Jesus. The Gospels reveal Jesus. When we read the Acts of the Apostles, we see Jesus being preached, and the church of Jesus being established. Later, when we read the epistles, which is another word for uh, letter, we, we discover that Jesus is being explained. Who is this Jesus? Why did he come? What is he like? What is he all about? And then at the end, we get to the book of Revelation uh, in the Bible, which is the very end, and it is Jesus is to be expected. He's coming back again. So the entire Bible from cover to cover, is all about Jesus. And the Old and the New Testament together are like two acts of a play, right? So uh, think about it like this. If you, uh, if you come to a play having missed the very first act, you, you, you kind of, you, you walked in, uh, you were late to the show, they didn't let you in because they don't want to let all the light in, right? It's a big important play, and you missed the first act, and you walked in, you wouldn't know the setting, you wouldn't understand the characters, you wouldn't understand the story, where it's headed, why all this is happening, and what's going on. Similarly, if you, um, if you only watched the first act, and you had to leave early, you would have to come back and, and phone one of your friends to say, how did this all end? What's going on? We were, I was left hanging, but I couldn't be there. And there's so much more to be desired and discovered in all the waiting and all the hopes. The Old Testament and New Testament are like two acts of the same play. They go together. They're not at odds with one another, right? 
they, they fit together perfectly. And I think that a lot of Christians, um, including maybe some even here in this room, we look at the Bible and we look at the landscape of the scriptures and we look at church and we look at all these things and it seems like this almost trackless jungle that we're left to navigate. Like, oh my gosh, there's so much in here. Where do I go? How does this all fit together? Um, and then there are times maybe when we feel urged to open up our Bible and we feel urged or we join a community group or we go to church or, and, and we decide, hey, let's, let's open this up and we feel just hopelessly lost in this jungle because we don't understand quite what it means, what it's leading up to, the characters, the setting, the landscape, and we feel just lost in the thick of all that this big, we know, important book has to tell us. And we are left wondering oftentimes, is there even a path for me to understand this? Can I understand this? Well, I wanna remind you here this Christmas season that yes, you can. Yes, there is a path. Yes, there is clear understanding. And there is a story that I want to remind us of that runs through all of the Bible. And it's understood most fully and most clearly in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and I'm gonna boil it down as best I can in one sentence to give you a gr just a grasp of what it is, what do these first two acts mean? What do them together mean? And here we go, this is my best effort. That God, from all of eternity, or from eternity past, determined that he would redeem or he would purchase or God would buy or take to himself a people who are his very own. That the whole Bible is unfolding then this grand plan of God's redemption of his people, of his chosen people. The Apostle Paul refers to it in Ephesians 1, and he says it this way, that God throughout history is accomplishing all of these things according to the counsel of his will. In other words, God is orchestrating everything. Ephraim talked about it earlier. He holds all things together in the palm of his hand. Even the disclosure of himself in the pages of the Bible are according to God's eternal plan. Now, why do I mention this at the beginning of Advent? What's the point here? I mention this because at the beginning of this Christmas season, at the beginning of this Advent season where we're anticipating the return of this one Jesus to come and we're celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I think that many of us have taken the Christmas story and we've unplugged it from the pages of scripture, from the theme of God, from the plan of God, and we sort of plop it down over here as this singular event, and we have no frame of reference for why this important boy came a long time ago in Bethlehem. And it's just kind of sitting over here, and we get real excited about it. We light candles, and the Woodlands puts doves everywhere, and we know we, we, we throw lights outside, and we bring trees inside, and we put socks over the chimney, and we get real excited about all the things that happen around it, but we just sort of unplug it, and we set it over there as a nice sort of uh, ornamental piece. 
Um, but if we do not place that most important event in the whole of redemptive history, it will just seem disconnected and meaningless to all of our life. It'll, be, it'll seem meaningless. Now, uh, during Christmas season, I get, I get stung with the, uh, the, the sentimentality bug big time. I'll just admit that right now, right? It's, it's just kind of in me, and so much so that almost every year, I, I always find myself ordering a puzzle. Any puzzlers in here? All right, and so, uh, yeah, we love puzzles. That's two of us do. Glad you're here with me. This story will be for us. But I order puzzles, and I just have this, like, beautiful vision that we're going to sit, all of my children uh, and the dog will be sitting here, and we'll puzzle together, and we'll drink coffee, and we'll talk about deep theological matters, and we'll laugh, and, uh, and we'll, just, we'll just, we'll knock out this puzzle, and it's just going to be so glorious, and we'll do it for hours upon hours, and we'll just know all the ins and outs and recesses of all of our souls and personalities, and we'll just talk and talk and talk. We can turn off the devices and just puzzle together. Anyone else have that dream? I have a dream. Yes, my mother-in-law does. She gets me. Um, so I ordered a puzzle last week, and it arrived, and it's a Star Wars puzzle, much to my wife's chagrin. It's a giant scene. Like the kid, the boys, and I are really into Star Wars. We're watching Mandalorian, and I'm sort of uh, like in, initiating them into that whole world, and so we've got a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle of Star Wars. It's got Vader. It's got Han. It's got Chewie. It's got them all, right? It's beautiful. We get set up. The coffee's brewed. The kids all find their place around the round table, right, kids? We dump the puzzle, and a thousand pieces are there. There's only one problem. I'm really, really bad at puzzles. <laughs> Almost every year. I just, and I sit there, and we all look at it, and here's the problem. that we put to, I put together a piece like this big, and there's still like 900 pieces still left unfinished, and we've been working on this thing all week, right? It's just like an endless, I just, we, I'm terrible at it. Ashley, on the other hand, is great. She sits down for 10 minutes, has put together the majority of it. I just can't seem to see it. I can't get it to work. In fact, I put pieces together, and she has to come back and be like, those don't actually fit together. <laughs> what? She's like, no, that's not quite right. And I, I, just, I just don't see it. I can't get there. But I just kind of, I want it to work so bad, but I just can't get all the puzzle pieces to fit in, right? Um, I think a lot of us view Christmas like that in this season. Man, we just really love all the stuff. We love all the trappings of it. We love to set the table with it. Um, I'm not really sure where this baby Jesus fits in besides the fact that it's his birthday and I should, I should kind of care about it. Um, and I really want to care, but I don't really know where it fits. And I don't know how to put it in place. And I don't know really where to even think about it right. And so we'll lay it out on the table. We'll kind of set it there. And it's just kind of like wallpaper for the rest of the season. This unfinished puzzle that I just can't seem to get my mind around that I just can't figure out how the pieces fit together. And if we view Christmas like this, if we just sort of dust off the story of this baby boy born in a manger 2,000 years ago and we pull him out once a year and we set him on the coffee table and we don't really understand what he means, 
why he came, what he's doing, and what he's asking of us, we will inevitably boil Christmas down to what I've boiled jigsaw puzzles down to, and that is sentimentality. Uh, Really, really good intentions that are almost never followed through on. Because uh, school starts tomorrow, guess what? That puzzle's getting sweeped right back in the box unfinished. It's gonna go right back on the shelf, and I'll probably order a brand new one next year in my goat board attitude. Well, maybe I'll go with a 200 piece, not a 1,000 piece, right? Knowing myself. But if we're not careful, we will do the same thing to Christmas. We'll do the same thing to Jesus. And we will marginalize Christmas into sentimentality. Um, and we, many of us think like this. Many of our friends think like this. Maybe you think like this. Christmas is great for children. Uh, Christmas is great for uh, creating Kodak moments. Christmas is great for grandmas that knit sweaters, maybe. But it seems completely irrelevant to my life. What does a baby boy born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem have to do with me? Maybe you've heard this. Christmas is just an invention of Hallmark to sell more cards and to come out with its own television station to make the same movie over and over and over again, whether it be at a Christmas tree farm or a coffee shop or a failing bookstore. It's all the same movie. Right? What's this all about? Is it just an appeal for money for nonprofits? Because we're getting inundated with that right now. So it's like Black Friday's over, now it's give to your favorite organization Monday or whatever it is, right? It's just like there's a new day and a new appeal to make to you to maybe you might feel bad enough at all the stuff you've bought for all your loved ones that you might give a little bit over here. Is Christmas just an appeal to help support nonprofits? Is Christmas just about getting new coats for children? Is Christmas just about bringing trees inside and bringing lights outside? Well, church, Christmas is not an appeal. Make no mistake, Christmas is not an appeal. Christmas is an announcement. Christmas is good news with great joy for all people. That's not just a Charlie Brown saying. That's the gospel. The good news is the gospel. It's not advice, it's news. It has happened. It is an announcement of what God has done and what he is doing and what is the nature of this good news. How does it fit all together? What does it mean? Well, Galatians, our text this morning, chapter four, verses four and five, give us the entire meaning of Christmas in two beautifully written summary statements. We get sometimes uh, in, the, in the epistles, here the apostle Paul gives us this synopsis of what Christmas means, right? And it's this beautiful, beautiful Two verses, and so for the remaining of our time that we have here this morning, I just want to read these verses, and then I want to quickly unpack them by asking a few questions along the way, and then we'll be done. Listen to these amazing verses. This is what Christmas is all about. This is the meaning of Christmas. This is the hope of Christmas, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let me read it again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is profound. John Stott says that the gospel is not good advice to men, but it is good news about Christ. And that's true. It is not, Christmas is not an invitation to do anything. Christmas is not an invitation to do anything. It is a declaration of what God has already done. It is not a demand on you. It is an offer to you. If we see Christmas as, first of all, something that makes demands upon us, like maybe you feel this way, like I sometimes do, you've got to make enough in order to provide enough, in order to get enough, in order to keep up to make sure that we have the perfect Christmas, whatever it is. If you start feeling those demands and that's what you make Christmas about, you've missed Christmas. We miss the fact that Christmas is not a demand, it is an offer. It is an offer. It is an announcement. So first, in verse four, the Apostle Paul in Galatians establishes the time factor. Okay, when did Christmas happen? Why did it happen when it happened? In relationship to the coming of Jesus. And this is the great hope of Christmas. When did Jesus come? Verse four, when time had fully come, in the fullness of time, he came. What does that mean? It means that Jesus came into our reality. He came to you and I exactly when God meant him to. There's many arguments. We're like, why didn't he come now? The outside of the internet. He could have like, made his ministry public like in a day by getting a viral video and getting on, uh, what's the thing that we just tried to download and I didn't understand how to use it? TikTok. TikTok. I downloaded that for one second, deleted immediately, didn't understand at all. If Jesus would have had TikTok, it would have, his message would have gone really quickly. My friends dared me, I did it. I did not fail the test. Um, why, why did he, this scripture tells us Jesus came exactly on purpose when he came. He did not come haphazardly. It wasn't like, oh, look, here's Jesus, great. We better kind of figure this out now. He did not come a moment too late. He did not come a moment too soon. It's like the great line that Gandalf gives, speaking to Frodo at the very beginning of the wonderful book series, The Lord of the Rings, right? Or if you've seen the movie, Gandalf says this. Forgive my nerdy analogy, but I like it. Gandalf says this, a wizard, I'll <clears throat> give my best Gandalf voice, a wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins, nor is he early. He always arrives precisely when he means to. I love that. In the fullness of time, God sent Jesus precisely when he meant to. Jesus came at the right time. Many theologians meet, think that this means uh, that, that the Apostle Paul is pointing out this fact, that Jesus came at the exact right time when the law of Moses had done the work of preparing men and women for Jesus, their Messiah. Now we're gonna come back to this a little bit, but notice 
in verse 23 of chapter three, we'll go back a little bit because this verse also isn't just plucked out on its own, but it's in context of this letter that the apostle Paul is writing. Um, But Paul says this, kind of in reference to this idea in chapter three. Paul says, before this faith came, before meaning before people trusted in Jesus and believed, Paul says, we were held prisoner by the law. We were locked up until faith was revealed. So we were prisoners under the law before Jesus came. We were locked up. We were in chains under the law and we could not break out of it. So the law was put in charge in God's great sovereign plan to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith alone. So when did God send Jesus? When the time had fully come, when all the preparation had been done, he came. Second question I wanna ask this morning. What has God done? So great, he came in the fullness of time. Well, what's he done? Here in one simple statement, God sent in the past tense. Sent what? An idea? A religious system? Um, A ghost? Um, A premonition? No, he sent his son. In eternity past, pre-time, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the Trinity, existed perfectly together, forever and ever and ever. They entered into a covenant with one another, determining that one member of the Trinity should become the savior for the sins of man. That role was given to the Son of God. And Christ, our hope, in submission to the Father, said, Father, when you determine the time, when the time is right, I will go and I will do your will and I will delight in it, no matter what it takes. In perfect submission to the Father, the Son would go. And here it says that that time was then. God sent his Son. The promise of the Father to the Son was that having entrusted him with this task of redemption, this monumental task of redemption, he would not just uphold him in his earthly journey. He would not just uphold him in his path forward as he took on flesh, but he, the Father, would also reward Jesus with all that he promised him. That would be that those that God foreknew, he would have become sons and daughters of his through this one Jesus Christ, our hope. Now, I know many of you, that seems pretty far removed from a cradle in Bethlehem. Um, But let me say this, the significance of the cradle in Bethlehem that first Christmas is only fully realized by an understanding of where that piece of the jigsaw puzzle fits into the larger scheme of all that God is doing and accomplishing in his grand plan. So when did he come? When the time had fully come, the Bible tells us. What has God done? He has sent his only son. Third question, How was this? How does this unfold? This huge metaphysical concept. Verse four, we see two little phrases. 
the Apostle Paul gives us. Number one, born of a woman. Number two, born under the law. So born of a woman tells us this. He was truly a man. That Jesus, this, this one that has come, that God sent, he lived and he walked the streets as a real man. He was not an idea. He was not a ghost. He was not a phantom. He took a human body. He had the exact same biochemical composition as you and I do as humans, yet also he was fully God. Huge idea. Number two, born under the law. Born of a woman, number two, born under the law. What does that mean? Well, to fully understand this, uh, like to really grasp, this is really what Galatians is all about. So I encourage you to go read the first three chapters of Galatians when you get home. Most of you probably won't. So I'm gonna do my best to explain it right here. Born under the law means this. When God comes to earth in the person of Christ, he has a human mother. He lives a human existence. He is born under the jurisdiction of the law of God. In other words, catch this. Jesus is not free to do whatever he felt like. Jesus' earthly ministry is not him wandering around and just stumbling into certain things. It's not random. He is there to do all the law demands of him. Jesus has become subject to the demands of the law of God. The law of God is summarized in the Ten Commandments. Jesus subjugated himself under the law of God. He loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength. He was absolutely truthful in all of his words. He was absolutely faithful in all of his relationships. He was faithful to all of his people whom God had redeemed. And because, catch this, I know this is, seems kind of laborious, but this is huge. And because this one that had come in the fullness of time had fulfilled all of the demands of the law in all of its perfection, he, this man, Jesus, that has come, is able to be the representative of you and I. He is able, because of that, to represent us. Jesus perfectly keeps the law so now he represents us yet without sin. And Jesus in his death, therefore, because he kept the law perfectly, takes the penalty of all of the demands of the law upon himself and therefore fully fulfills the role of Jesus, our great substitute. I no longer have to die for my sins and my missteps and my misgivings and my failures because Jesus did that which I could never do. So Jesus could never have been our representative under the law unless he was absolutely faultless. 
He could have not have been our substitute unless he is able to bear in himself all of the penalty of those who break God's perfect law. And so, church, when we look into the cradle this Christmas, it is not just one little jigsaw puzzle piece that we can just extract and just kind of get off the shelf whenever we want. We can't just look at him with sentimentality. We can't just look into this cradle and see this little infant and just walk away and say, oh, how cute. I love Christmas. How sentimental. Now, when you look into the face of Jesus that first Christmas, you look into the eyes of one who in the growth of his humanity when he came lived a life of total perfection that he might represent you. And that same one, that same baby that came in the cradle was able to die in agony on a cross in order that you and I need not die anymore. That's, that's Christmas. That's our great hope. So we don't hop and skip by Christmas story and think, I'll take my hat off to Jesus this year. Maybe I'll put a little money in the plate. Um, we can't just do that. The Lord Jesus is our only hope. He perfectly fulfilled the law. And he is the answer to every promise ever made in all of the Bible. And when did this all happen? In the fullness of time. Who was it that sent, that God sent his only begotten son? How was he born? He was born of a woman under the law. Final question here this morning. Why did he do all this? Like, why did he do this? That seems like a lot. To redeem and adopt, the scripture tells us. Catch this that he who was a son by nature willingly took on the form of a servant so that those of us who were by nature servants of sin may discover to our great surprise what it's like to be adopted as sons and daughters of grace. That's it. That's Christmas. Christmas shows us that he who was a son by nature becomes a servant and in the fullness of time so that we who are servants of sin might discover by our great surprise the wonderful privilege of being redeemed and adopted into God's family. Christmas is this announcement. This is good news this is not good advice to live up to. The Lord Jesus redeems us from the curse that awaits us as lawbreakers, and he takes that curse for us. Church, we cannot understand Christmas without Calvary. You have to have those puzzle pieces together. Christmas is not sentimental, it is sacrificial. So here's the question, final question here as we close. Christmas begs this, where is your hope? Is it in yourself? In your ability to provide or provide a nice 
experience or to have all the trappings of sentimentality at your fingertips? Is it your efforts? Or do when we look into that manger, do we see the one who bears the curse that we deserve, yet took it and now calls us sons and daughters, adopted, chosen, redeemed, given grace, given peace, given mercy, given life, given liberty, given all the goodness and beauty that he is, that was owed to him, he laid it down and now gives it to us as his people. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we may receive adoption as sons. Christmas is an offer to receive adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High. Nothing in our hands we bring. Our empty hands of faith is all that we have, and God does the rest through all that we bring is faith and belief in all that he has done. Jesus is the great hope of Christmas. He is our prize. He is our fortune. He is our aim. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for sending your only begotten son, Lord, that he wasn't just aimlessly wandering around, that he was born under the law, that he kept it perfectly, God, so that he could be our representative. And Lord, when he went to that cross and he paid the penalty of all of our missteps and all of our misgivings and all of our sin and folly, he paid it on our behalf that we could stand now in front of you, blameless and adopted children as sons and daughters of the Most High because of this one born in a manger long ago. God, may Christmas be so much more than sentimentality for us this year. May Jesus be our great hope. And God, I pray that in the coming days, we would reprioritize maybe some things that have crept up that are not of you. And God, that we would run hard after you and that our hearts' affections would be bound up in this little boy in a cradle that was born long ago that one day went to a cross. And may we be, have, have hearts and minds fully surrendered and submitted to him. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship him, church.